Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I'm your host this Sunday afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to MPB Think Radio and to specifically the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm here uh, in my own basement on Gillespie Street in Bellhaven. And uh, Kevin Farrell, our producer, is back in the studio at MPB. And finally, our special guest today, Carrie Hudson, I do believe is in Hattiesburg on Skype. Am I right, Carrie? That is correct. I'm in downtown Hub City. <laughs> All right. You know, I used to own a building there, the old Walnut Street Pharmacy in downtown Hattiesburg. I know it well. That's a, uh, it's gone through some changes. Yeah, yeah. I bought it right after it was closed uh, as a pharmacy um, and before it started going through all of its uh, development. My brother Hal and I were actually going to open up a little uh, restaurant and club there at one time, but it did not come to pass. Oh, wow. That would have changed everything. Well, who knows? <laughs> but yeah. happened. Yeah. So, uh, Carrie, thanks for joining me today. Um, uh, for our listeners who don't know, which can't be many, Carrie Hudson is a singer-songwriter, musician, uh, and uh, also has a multitude of organization bands that he plays in. You've been, for years, uh, based out of the Hattiesburg area. You were based out of New Orleans for a while, and it, once upon a time, back in the Blue Mountain days, you were based out of Oxford, right? That's right. I have dual citizenship in North and <laughs> South Mississippi. And I lived in Jackson uh, during uh, the early 80s for college. So I went to some of the establishments that you were probably booking entertainment for. Yes. And you and I uh, have worked together on many, many occasions, uh, and of, of which I am grateful for. So tell, now you're based uh, in Hattiesburg these days? Well, I mostly stay out in Sumrall, my hometown. Um, I have a cabin in the woods out there, and then I also have an airstream that I stay in sometime, and I move it around, sometimes closer to New Orleans. That's where my daughter lives. Right. Um, it's currently parked in downtown Hattiesburg, and yeah. So you're still more or less uh, based out of the Piney Woods, but you are mobile. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I will say um, for all of us who are dealing with uh, COVID-19 and the um, uh, ever-changing landscape of, of living in this time, you've been very present on social media. I've, all during the lockdown time, I would see you performing here, there, and yon on street corners and in parks. T talk to us a little bit about the past three and a half, four months and, and what you've been doing to survive? Well, um, I have been fortunate. It's, it's wonderful that we have the technology to provide live streaming. And as you notice, I've done it from my cabin out in the country, which is really fun because uh, we typically do it around sunsets so or the frogs start talking and 
the crows come by and visit, and uh, I can hear the pileated woodpecker out in the woods. Um, so my schedule has consisted of live streams, um, and right about the time that all of my gigs went away, I invested in a small home studio. So I've cut a new album uh, during the quarantine break, and it's in... It's been mixed. I'm just waiting to master it and do the artwork. And where did you record it? At your home studio? Prim at my home studio, primarily in my cabin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, with, uh, I think, eight new songs and two uh, old tunes. Oh, great. Now, this will be what number record for you? Let's see. I have done six Blue Mountain records and six solo records, so this will be lucky number 13. Wow. Yeah. And uh, the labels, you've you've moved around, you have to to survive, I guess. You, mm -hmm. Nobody just either self-publishes or is with one particular label. Talk a little bit about who you're with now and who you were with when you were with Blue Mountain and how all of that sort of showbiz stuff works. Well, Blue Mountain uh, released a couple of self-releases, um, and that led to us, and started touring, that led to us being picked up by a label uh, that's based out of Manhattan called Roadrunner. And Roadrunner released our first three albums, which coincided with us really becoming a national touring act. Um, we were with them for three records. We self-released uh, a couple of records. And the next part of Blue Mountain's career and my career was getting, for some reason, we had a fan base in Germany and Holland. So we had two European deals. Um, at the moment, I'm not on a label. I just recorded this album, and I'm thinking of shopping it to some European labels. But... If I'm still trying to decide if I want to make the decision, technology's allowed us to self-publish records a lot easier than we used to. And so I'm in the process of deciding if I want to do that. And uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. So I want to take a few minutes here and, and just talk about the creative process. I'm always fascinated by that. Walk us through uh, your writing routine and you know, you've made a decision to make a new record. Do you have a, a routine where you get up every morning and write for a certain number of hours, or do or you just sort of go with the flow and write whenever the muse strikes? You know, uh, it's a combination of those two things. Um, I have learned to really value whenever inspiration strikes. And... So I always try to be ready for that in the sense that a pencil is always close by, hopefully in my pocket. And so, you know, whether it's on a bar nap or whatever, I'll, if you say I'm hanging out with you at the bar and you say something funny, which has happened before, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm reminded of one time when we were in the back room at Howlin' Mouths and we noticed this table this has been a while ago we noticed this table of attractive young ladies and you said well, you know if i was to walk over there they'd start surring me 
calling you, sir. <laughs> but anyway, if a friend says something funny in a bar or restaurant, I'll make sure and write it down. If I have an idea, I'll write it down. And if I have a music idea, I will record it on my voice memo on my phone. Mm. That technology's changed, but I've always kept a backlog of music and lyric ideas. When the time comes to make a record, then I have a lot of raw material that I can go through and edit and add to. And um, occasionally inspiration will strike and you just sit down and write a song. But um, usually it's a matter of going back through the raw material I've collected. How prepared are you before you turn on, hit record? Uh, do you... Have you gone through the entire structure of the song or do you trust yourself sometimes and just you'll have an idea and just turn it on and see where it takes you? That's a good question. If I'm working on my home studio where the clock, the financial clock is not ticking, then the whole process is very different than if I've booked time in a studio and I really, plus if I've called together an engineer or a producer, I want to be ready and I want to know what the arrangement's going to be. I want to have the lyrics memorized. Um, yeah, so if I, if I go into the studio, like for instance, when Blue Mountain made Dog Days, we had played those songs live for three years. And so mm -hmm. we were ready to just go in and cut them, you know. But I think if you're going to assemble other people and ask them to work on a project, you owe it to them to be ready. As Muddy Waters would say, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of your recording career, what has been the most successful album that, that you have been able to put together? Well, like a lot of artists, uh, for better or worse, the very first album I did um, – with Blue Mountain was Dog Days. And I have been trying for 12 albums after that. You know, I always think this will be the one that people will remember. But um, but recently I've spent more time on Facebook and everybody's been at home and they've been bored out of their gourds. So people <laughs> are doing all this list your 10 favorite albums on Facebook. And that Dog Days album it's very gratifying how much it's popped up in people's memories. Now, did you write all of Dog Day material or you and Laurie or who all worked on that? Laurie I and think I think Frank was the drummer back then. Frank right? was the drummer and uh, he did a great job of banging on the drums. I was the primary songwriter. Laurie certainly helped out a lot. And I think, you know, I don't listen to my own albums, but we might have had a Skip James cover on that record, hmm. uh, possibly. Special Rider. I think Special Rider, our version, is on that album. So so you've never listened to Dog Days? Uh, well, you know, I heard it when it was happening, and I don't make <laughs> a habit of... Uh, it's just... Once... I've been recently listening to the mixes for my new album, and once I've approved the mixes for a record, at that point, I've heard these songs a lot. Right. Um, so I'm a lot more likely to put on Van Morrison than Blue Mountain. 
<laughs> understandable. Although yeah. I like I like Blue Mountain a lot. Thank um, you. Now, this part about once you've approved it, I, I'm really I've watched a lot of documentaries recently, um, and um, a lot of films about bands and records and when. Tell me, tell us a little bit about what happens when you get to a place where you literally have to let the song go. You are you ninety percent happy with it? Are you eighty percent? Are you just at a point where this is going to be it and you just move on? You know that has changed throughout the years. Uh, when I first started doing this, it's hard to let go uh, because you're seeking perfection. Um, these days I have come to trust my collaborators. I used to want to mix everything myself. Turns out I'm not that great at it. <laughs> uh, and I've learned to con just to hire the very best people I can afford and trust them to do their job. For the most part, I do have final say on the mixes. And then also as I've gotten older, I've come to believe, uh, Perfection is for the gods. Yeah. There comes a point, as Ted Ganey would say, I would say, Ted, what do you think? He would say, that's a version of this song. <laughs> Let's go with it. <laughs> right. Hi, I'm Malcolm White. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. For access to more conversations with creative Mississippians, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I'm the executive director of your Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm also your host today for the Mississippi Arts Hour. My guest today is Kerry Hudson. Welcome back, Kerry. Great to be here, Malcolm. Man, I appreciate you uh, parking the Airstream and going into Chad Edwards' studio or home studio <laughs> or cabin or house or wherever it is you are and, and dialing into us here on MPB right. Think Radio. So at the break, you were telling me uh, that you have just finished a record uh, that you recorded in your home studio. And mm -hmm. I think the next song you play will be from the upcoming record, but that you've already started yet another project. And this one uh, is a piano record. That's correct. You know, I don't know about you, Malcolm, but uh, it's good for Carrie to stay busy. Uh, it helps Gary <laughs> stay focused and out of trouble. So, um, yeah, so I've always played a little bit of piano. It was the instrument I played before I picked up the guitar. Um, and during uh, this lockdown time period, I've had access to a piano, and I 
just got interested in it. And so I have been writing some songs on the piano um, and also doing some of my older tunes on the piano. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm in the process of recording a second album on piano. I was considering the, the name Mississippi Piano 2020 because Anno 2020. Ah. And I happened to see uh, a video I Googled Eden Brin. I was like, I can't call my album Mississippi Piano. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not worthy. <laughs> so, so in the future, when people attend a Carrie Hudson uh, solo act, solo show, it'll be like Mac McAnally. You'll have a piano there and the guitar. Well, it will be like Mac in the, in the, respect that I may perform on both instruments, but he's another guy that I just have to say, I'm, I mean, we've seen Mac. He's, um, he's amazing. Yeah. Well, he's Max otherworldly, but, uh, yes, I've played with him. <laughs> been forced to open for him on the coast. And I was, uh, you know, the, when I opened for him in Bay St. Louis, uh, I'd always heard about him and I knew who he was but I'd never seen him live and to see him do a solo performance live. I, it was a master class. Yeah. The guy, uh, he just gets better and better and better. Uh, and, uh, he, he was already good as they say. Right. Mm -hmm. But, uh, tell us a little bit about, um, who you're performing with these days. We all know blue mountain, uh, is primarily a thing of the past. Uh, mm -hmm. I, you might dredge it up occasionally. I don't know, but that's certainly not where you are. And then for the longest, you were a solo act, but now you are working with Katrina. That's right. Uh, primarily these days, Malcolm, it is a solo um, show, unless I'm performing with her. Katrina Miller, uh, the lady I've been working with for about six years, uh, we just did a live recording in a house in Hattiesburg, Actually, we did it about a year ago, but I'm just now having a chance to kind of work on it. So technically, there's three albums in the can. Um, but for anybody that's seen Katrina, they know how wonderful she is. She started out playing classical violin. When she was in her early teens, she had the good taste to go lo locate some bluegrass players. Started playing with this old guy, and when she was 16... Uh, her and this old fellow went to the Mississippi fiddle competition and she won the whole thing, her age wow. division and the Mississippi overall fiddle competition. She's about wow. 35 now, but, uh, she won that when she was 16. And where is she from? She grew up in Tylertown, Mississippi. Oh my uh, goodness. Okay. And yeah, uh, currently lives in Hattiesburg with her husband, Tony, and they got three kids which uh, her children are small, which kind of limits our touring right now. And she might have better sense than to ever go tour in any way. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> she can so keep it in perspective. <laughs> yes, it helps keep life in perspective. But, uh, but she's just a wonderful person. And it's for my old ears that are beat up and also just for my interest level. It's, I just love playing with her. Now, everybody who's listening knows, uh, 
the situation with COVID-19. Have you been able to play uh, any live shows uh, since, since all of this began? And and if so, uh, how frequently or, or is most of it uh, just playing uh, on Facebook Live and, and on uh, social media? Malcolm, it has slowly started to come back. Um, I've been doing a few Wednesday evenings at Shaggy's on the Reservoir. Now, that's outdoors on a patio. I have done uh, some shows at Patio 44 in Hattiesburg, once again outdoors. Um, and then I've done a few private parties. I should have invited you, but I played in Bellhaven at a private uh, event in a backyard about two weeks ago. Oh, great. So it's been primarily stuff that's outdoors. And, you know, when I, whenever I read about the COVID, uh, it seems, it strikes me that outdoor venues are going to be the future of a lot of what I do. Of course, I'm in contact with some really wonderful establishments like Howlin' Mouse and Jackson, um, working on doing a dinner thing with brandy we're just kind of waiting for the right date yeah when you um when you're doing these uh video uh facebook live or however you're whatever technology you're using do you get a good response do you do you feel like people are dialed in and paying attention to, can it in any way uh resemble a live show or is you just make the best of it and, and go on? You know what's, uh, what's really great is my friend Chad Edwards is helping me with the um, technology side of it, the filming, and he keeps an eye on the screen that I can't see so that I'm able to know who's watching and so I can take requests. Uh, the tip situation has been wonderful. I have to make a special shout out to Robert St. John, who has been a generous um, tipper on our live streams. We appreciate that. Um, yes, yeah, so there's a certain, you know, it's certainly not the same as being in a room with live people, but there's interaction that happens. To me, two of the best things about it is, is that I'm able to perform for people as far away as Barcelona or Madison, Wisconsin, California. Um, and it's nice when you get feedback that says, hey, this really helped us deal with the stress, you know, for an hour or two. Um, the music and maybe even the jokes, you know, help, help people. <laughs> Uh, it's it's nice to feel like you're part of the solution a little bit, right? Or are you are you finding time to paddle your canoe? You still getting out on the water? Uh, yes, I did Buoy River. Um, I did Buoy River from Highway 49. I did about a, a seven mile stretch. And I, actually, I was thinking about you the other day. It's always been my ambition. Uh, my place in Sumrall is bordered by a creek. And the creek empties into Bowie River. It's always been my ambition to go from my house to Pascagoula. And I was thinking of you and 
the epic trip that you had with Bruce on the Pearl River. Um, so, you know, maybe this is the time period when I can um, paddle the length of the buoy. I don't know if I'll be able to do it all in one stretch the way you guys did the Pearl, but um, yeah, I'm, I, I try to get out at least once a week in the canoe. Bruce, I actually uh, put in uh, at, on 49 at the buoy and all the way to Skagula. Uh, after we did the Pearl River, we began working on the Pascagoula uh, system. You know, it's got seven tributaries, one of which is the buoy. Uh -huh. And so uh, we did the black, the red, the buoy, Okotoma. I mean, we did a number of them uh, and ended up uh, going into the Pascagoula River and coming out in the Mississippi Sound. So uh, it, it's a glorious uh, stretch. You need, of course, you know, you got to set aside a bunch of time and deal with weather and such. But for those of us who are blessed enough to live here uh, and to have these amazing creeks and rivers and streams and sloughs and uh, bodies of water to paddle in, it's, it's a paddler's paradise, as you know. You know, Malcolm, it's a paddler's paradise that I think is undiscovered. Um, there's a part of me that loves the fact that I can get on a little creek and, you know, the smaller tributaries, you can't really get a power boat up in there. And I just love that I can get on some of these creeks like Bowie or Red Creek that don't have an outfitter um, and see so few people. Uh, but yeah. at the same time, I want people to know about it to help preserve it because it's just, I mean, you know, it's like one of the most beautiful ecosystems I've ever seen. Yeah, the Pascagoula system is unparalleled. Of course, it's the last free-flowing, undammed, unimpeded system in continental United States. Mm -hmm. And we're blessed that it's all right here inside of the boundaries of Mississippi. And, you know, maybe there are not a lot of people who know about it, but those who do really uh, understand what a treasure it is. Yes, yes, for sure. Um so when you and Bruce did the Pascagoula, did y'all do it in one fell swoop the way you did the Pearl? No, we we did it in, in fits and starts. Uh, uh -huh. We didn't have the time. That was part of the problem why we never really finished it. We never got on the leaf or the Chickasahay. We just ran out of time, and um, we were trying to sandwich it in between, you know, my uh, busy work schedule and Bruce's very relaxed approach to life in general. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we, we never finished it. In fact, I, I think a lot of times about finishing it uh, for Bruce, uh, maybe you and I can finish that up. I think I'm only maybe three or four of the seven short. Uh, but anyway, okay. it's, it's a magnificent. Maybe we'll do that someday. Well, I tell you, I have never paddled on the Chunky River, and I'm very curious about that. If you didn't do the Chunky, uh, I'd certainly be into doing that or any of the other ones. We didn't do much of the Chunky, but I do remember very clearly the, the intersection of the Chunky and the Bowie and how beautiful that is. You've seen that, right? Okay, tell me where that is, the intersection of the Chunky and the... Well, it's just out in the woods. Uh, 
you know, I remember, I don't think there's any bridge or anything near it. It's just the, the convergence of, of the, of the chunky coming into the buoy, which goes on down ultimately to make the Pascagoula. Right. I haven't been to that. Now, a spot that I frequent pretty often is the confluence of the buoy and the Okatoma, which is downstream from Highway 49. And where those rivers come together is just one of my favorite spots. Um, I try to swim there every time I go. Well, that may be what I'm thinking about now that you mention it. I may have those two, uh, the Chunky and the... Uh, uh, what was your Okatoma? Okatoma. Yeah. I may have those conflated anyway, but, but it's, it's the whole, uh, system is beautiful. Uh, we, we did have difficult, we tried to go way up the buoy, uh, way up from Hattiesburg and, and get in and, uh, it was too, too choked down and too narrow. Uh -huh. We had to stop and get out and start all over again. I had to take out and come all the way back down to 49, and that's where we begin uh, that part of, of the buoy. Okay. Yeah, you know, that, that part you can put in on Highway 589, and that's almost right at my cabin. I live a mile from the bridge on 589. Or you can put up about put in about six miles upstream at Sumrall Seminary Road, but both of those stretches, if there's not enough water in there, it's, they're not doable. And there, there right. was a lot of trees down. So, you know, there comes a point where it's just not. Yeah, it's not worth it. It's not yeah. working. Hi, I'm Malcolm White. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. For access to more conversations with creative Mississippians, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app. If you're a parent on the go but still want to stay informed about your children's education, subscribe to Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere on your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I'm your host today on this Sunday afternoon. I hope that you are enjoying yourself. My guest today is Kerry Hudson. Welcome back, Kerry. Great to be back. Yeah, man, it's, uh, it's cool that even uh, with this social distancing and COVID-19 that we're able to carry on. And uh, you're in Hattiesburg. I'm in Jackson. Uh, Kevin Farrell, our producer, is out at MPB, and life goes on. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier about your picnic, about the Piney Woods picnic. I, I know it's not happening this year, but you want to tell the listeners uh, a little bit about that program, how long you've been doing it, what's it, what it's all about, and, and how it works? The Piney Woods picnic, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm afraid to say I don't see how it can happen this year. You know, uh, New Orleans, for instance, has suspended all live music through the rest of the year. Uh, it just, I don't see how it can happen, but it would have been the seventh year. 
I console myself with the idea that, you know, even the good Lord rested on the seventh day. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so we we have done, uh, we did a couple of years at the Peps Point Music Park, and then we have done four years at Elks Lake. Um, we feature uh, local music. By local music, uh, we think of, you think about the hub city diagram where Hattiesburg is the hub of Jackson, Mobile, Birmingham, Natchez, New Orleans, Gulfport. So we try to focus on bringing in music from the hub and its spokes, our regional stuff. Uh, and we try to uh, every year make a donation to the Nature Conservancy. We've done that five out of the six years. Um, and we designate it to go uh, to the Pascagoula system, you know, and our donations haven't been big, but we're, we're doing, we're trying with that. And that's the ultimate aim of it is to become uh, an organization that steers interest and even finances towards preservation, preservation of the Pascagoula. Well, now, what time of year does it generally take place when you're when you do have it? It's always been a fall event in September. Uh, you know, we're trying to find that window where the the temperatures are going down a little bit, but we're not into the madness of October uh, when everything is going on. So it's always been late September. And it's a. Uh... Two day, three day. How it's a three day. We get together on Thursday night, uh, and we go uh, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. We have had gospel music on Sundays, um, and then sometimes everybody's just still asleep. But um, <laughs> this, but this last year, the Thursday was my favorite that we've ever had on Thursday. Um, we featured. Uh, bands that have horns in their have horns in the band, and oh. our feature artist was Tom Bones Malone this third on oh Thursday. Oh gosh, yeah. yeah. And you have all those great uh, jazz players from University of Southern Mississippi up there. That's right. But what I did is uh, when we realized that we were going to be able to get Tom, um, we utilizing some local players, uh, put him together a band of professors and students from the USM jazz program. Yeah. And he, he flew in and they had one rehearsal and then just did an amazing performance. So I've always assumed that, uh, the Piney Woods picnic was sort of a takeoff of the hill country picnic that goes on up in uh, uh, northeast Mississippi, which you used to be very much a part of, and you still may be. That's right. Kenny, I've, I've, Kenny Brown's show. I have played uh, the hill country, I believe, seven out of the last 10 years. I was slated to do it uh, this year. And uh, it just couldn't happen this year. They even tried to put together a streaming version of it, but it just wasn't meant to be. But, you know, I lived in Oxford for 20 years. Uh, 
I was fortunate to uh, that Fat Possum would call me if Kenny couldn't make a show. They would call me to take his place with RL. Uh, so I did. I got to do quite a few shows with RL, and it's just a blessing to be part of that Hill Country family. Um, and definitely, the my idea for the Piney Woods picnic was based on the Hill Country picnic for sure. And, and of course, you're talking about RL Burnside, the great. Uh, Hill Country Blues man from from up that way. Also, uh, Junior Kimbrough was around during those years, right? And he had the had the juke joint up there, right? That's correct. Uh, you know, when I'm when I had moved to North Mississippi, I guess I thought that the era of um, old blues guys and juke joints was over, but it was still alive in Holly Springs, and it became a very common occurrence. Uh, for me and Laurie or other musicians I know to go out there on a Sunday afternoon and get to see people like Junior Kimbrough, R.L. Burnside, Othar Turner might be hanging around. When we first started going, it was just locals. And then towards uh, the last few years, you might get out there and there would be a film crew from Japan uh, or just about anybody hanging out there, you know? Mm. So, from I guess you got your career actually started uh, in Hattiesburg. Is that right, or where would you say you actually got your start? This my start was in Oxford. Um, I was at Millsaps in the early '80s, and when I graduated from Millsaps, uh, I took a year or two. I was trying to decide if I was gonna go into something medicine related which is what all my family does. And so I took a backpacking trip, uh, lasted about three or four months over in Europe. And while I was over there, uh, decided I, I think I'm going to pursue music. Got back from that trip, um, was waiting tables in Jackson when I get this call from my cousin, Chris. Chris had started a band with his fraternity brother, John Stirrett. And Chris was getting ready to quit the band and offered me his spot. So um, I joined this band with John Stewart and John and I worked together for about five years in Oxford. Now, I had played music my whole life, but that was my first working band. So when you were growing up, you played. Did you play in like little high school bands, garage bands? Played in garage bands, played at church a lot. Um was the lead guitarist in like a band that uh, played a lot of country cover music from the 50s through the 70s. Yeah. And then when I went to Millsaps, I had to put the guitar down for two or three years. Uh, but I did get to see a lot of great music at like the Subway and um, some other places in Jackson, the Lamar. Uh, but yeah, the, the band in Oxford was my first real band and that band morphed from being a cover band that focused on fraternity parties and bars to being an original group that um released a record and toured all over the country now that's and the hilltoppers that, right that was the hilltops and the hilltops kind of came before blue mountain and led to us making the connections that helped blue mountain get a record deal and the connections that helped john 
end up becoming a member of Uncle Tupelo and Wilco. So great place to start. Pretty good fork in the road there. Uh, Yeah. And we were a part of the Oxford music scene. Um, I'm a little bit out of touch with Oxford, but at the time there was uh, probably three or four bands that were touring and that included members, guys that would go on to be in widespread panic and um, Wilco, Sunbolt, Blue Mountain. Great scene. And, and and that was sort of what is known as no depression because of the magazine. Was was that part of that movement? That yeah, they were the first magazine that uh at the time the, the scene was called Alt Country, which yeah. uh I thought described about half of what we were trying to do because I was really into country, but I was also very much into blues. Uh the term Americana feels like a better term to me uh but yeah i just did it no depression is is still alive uh online i just did an interview with them about a week ago so it's a music magazine that was was around during those days that that's sort of focused on this what we now call americana music right Mm -hmm. so as we reach kind of the conclusion of our conversation today, I wonder if you could share kind of your musical evolution from the time you started with the Hilltops and, and Oxford to today, not touching every bass, but just sort of a uh, an overview of what you were playing then, what you're playing now, uh, you know, how you feel about uh, the recording industry and the live music scene and what you've chosen as a career. Well, you know, like everybody else, when you're young, you're trying to have a hit record. And um, we got pretty doggone close with Blue Mountain. Uh, And we recorded some music that's a lot of people still enjoy. Um, I think I mentioned the Dog Days album just pops up all the time. But, you know, the fact that uh, we didn't necessarily have that one big song kind of allowed me, I think, um, to kind of pursue whatever music vision I wanted at the time. When I was in Oxford back in the day, I was really fascinated by son Thomas who would come in from the Delta and I would see him play by himself or with Walter on the harmonica and I was fascinated by guys like Jack Owens who I got to go see tracked him down at his house and I always wanted to be able to do what those guys could do where it's just one guy and a guitar the archetypal blues man and it's been great over the last few years to realize that dream uh I can still play with a group um but to kind of, uh, I kind of feel like in my 50s, maybe kind of take on that role uh, and carry on some of the lessons that I learned from hanging out with RL. Um, from play, I, We used to play gigs with Big Jack Johnson. Laurie and I would be part of his group. Uh, I was really fortunate to do a, quite a few gigs with Bobby Rush, one of them at Howlin' Miles. So it feels great to be able to pass on some of those licks 
maybe some of the jokes and one-liners, you know. Hi, I'm Malcolm White. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. For access to more conversations with creative Mississippians, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app.